You're listening to 3CR's Renegade Economist with your host, Carl Fitzgerald, as we investigate the role of landlords, bankers and natural monopolies through the eyes of the commons. Our birthrights, our birthrights. Economists pride themselves on being the most scientific of social scientists. This leads them to reduce all human motives and behaviour to quantifiable variables such as utility, welfare and income. But people are not by nature quantitative, and their motives often have no economic basis. Today's most divisive issues, from fairness and inequality to national identity and culture, don't have economic solutions. (coughs) Thus, when economists preach the virtues of globalisation market solutions or cost-benefit analysis. They sound to critics on the left like corporate shills lacking any moral anchor. To critics on the right, they sound like globalist elites who despise patriotism. Well, there you go. That was the Wall Street Journal in defense of the dismal science. Economists have gotten a bad rap in recent years, but their devotion to data still offers the most practical, bias-free way to assess our most pressing problems. And that sets us up for today's interview as we step forward, looking at another policy proposal that brazenly challenges the Wall Street Journal. I mean, how can they dare say that, that fairness and inequality are not related to economics? That is how beautifully blindsided economists are today when we live in this two-dimensional economic framework of neoclassical economics that has removed analysis of monopoly and monopoly rents from the equation. As listeners well know, here on episode 507 we've been talking about monopoly rents, also known as economic rent or unearned income, for nearly 10 years, hoping that that 100th monkey is going to come and visit us very soon. Because uh, it's great to see yet another report that came out to recommend land tax at one level or another by the CEDP, even though they had a developer in the report quoting a report saying that land tax can be passed on. No, no. If we do establish a land tax at a reasonable rate, all of those vacant properties we we report on each year will be forced onto the market. All of those big blocks of land that are underutilised will be encouraged to be economic. And from that, we will have the supply-side response we so desperately need. And so when all those properties come on the market, there's competition that pushes down rents, pushes down prices pushes up wages as more small business begins and from that uh, any landlord trying to pass on the land tax uh, will quickly find his property vacated and people moving to somewhere cheaper. That's what needs to happen. I'm looking forward to uh, ensuring that we fund free removalists for anyone who's facing such a situation as that. It scares me, this meme of a moving house uh, being the most scary thing people can face these days. But at the moment, it's more profitable to just buy property and wait. As Mark Twain once famously joked, 
It's been around a long, long time, this land game, and uh, nearly every time you see a decent report written about housing affordability, they talk about land tax. Well, we are the podcast, the radio show that specialise in that, so please uh, sit back and enjoy another insight into how economics can solve these problems. We need a market system. We don't need millions of meetings to solve these problems what we need to do is remove monopoly from capitalism all right listeners this week we are back speaking to one of my favorite wise heads who often uh, sends me things of interest uh, deirdre kent who is the author of the new book the big shift so deirdre has been around forever and she's uh, she's one uh, I mean when I read your bio Deirdre I'm impressed to see that you've been involved as a a lobbyist uh, working against the tobacco lobby way back then uh, you were active in the early Green Party Uh, you you started writing about New Zealand banking reform probably back in the 80s and uh, been involved in transition towns groups at time banks uh, co-founded the New Economics Party in New Zealand written a book called Healthy Money, Healthy Planet, Developing Sustainability Through New Money, New Money Systems. And the big shift seems like uh, another reinforcement of those trends of, of uh, monetary reform uh, with, uh, from what I understand, the land reform coming through now as well. So, uh, Deirdre, how do you give an overview of your new book? Well, if you don't like socialism and you don't like capitalism, then you've actually got to think about another system. And for a long time, I've been trying to put together monetary reform with land tax and and land reform, but it's been a hard process. So I founded the co-founded the New Economics Party, and a lot of us worked it out together. It was quite a process. And uh, we sort of came up with a centralised model for a start. We're thoroughly unsatisfied with that. And then went to a local model and just changed our assumptions. And so sort of I've been full circle way back in the Values Party days. I, and, I, and I was on a council. That was which, the precursor to the New Zealand Greens Party, the, the world's yeah. first Green Party. Yes, it was about the same time as the similar party in Tasmania uh, formed. So it was started in 1972 and I stood as a candidate. And, of course, we're all about strengthening the local economy. And I went on to the council, uh, you know, strengthening the local economy and everything was sort of focused on that for a while. And then as I got into national politics... We were looking at national solutions, uh, so it didn't quite fit with me. And I'd been through this whole thing of writing the book on local currencies, and I'd worked it out, you know, that it's hard to keep a local currency going because you're totally dependent on the enthusiasm of the committee and their willingness to give time and energy to it. Uh so they peter out because of that, really. 
And uh, they peter out because they're not accepted for rates or taxes or something big, you know, something decent like your insurance policy or, or your power bill or something. You do need local currencies accepted for that. So we went through all this process over four years. A lot of um, permaculture teachers in it too who understand. Fantastic. Mm. Yes, that's what we like is that sort of long-term thinking and, and that's what uh, uh, this next economy type movement, uh, we've seen uh, uh, another amazing author, Kate Raworth, uh, release her book Donut Economics, which seems to be storming the Northern Hemisphere and hopefully your book, uh, The Big Shift, is doing the same down south. Yes, well... Uh, it's going. I've just formatted it for ebook for for Amazon Kindle, so that should be going up later this week, and then I'll do it for the other ebook forms later. There's uh, a lot I'll of add- talk about modernising the global economy, isn't there? And and coming up with uh, the triple bottom line type economic system. It's what inspired me to get uh, uh, involved in Georgism. Is is this belief that? Uh, uh, the current economic paradigm has had its day and it's great to see that more and more people are writing about it and your learning has been to, to start off locally. Uh, what, why exactly did you choose locally? What did you find at the national level that was the, uh, the, the blockage there? Well, basically it's, it's a matter of power. The power has shifted and to the corporates and to – so anything – you want to do at a national level is constrained politically and made very problematic, uh, like monetary reform. The banks are too powerful, like land tax. Well, we've had two tax working groups in New Zealand, and they've both come out with land tax. You know, experts telling the government they should tax land. Well, the government looks at it, says no, and it's all over, you know, in a matter of 24 hours. It just doesn't hit the headlines. It's lucky to hit it once. Um, so there's something fundamentally problematic about applying a land tax at national central level and uh, politically. And I think it's fine for economists to say this, you know, you should do this, and for a lot of of, of campaigners to repeat the same thing and the principles right but the the practicalities and the, and the realities are that the only way to do it is um, is actually locally and we went as far as to say you actually need to have community owned land um, you know growing and growing and then sharing the rents from the land so that you build up to a basic income. We basically looked at the system and said it's so many things wrong with it and it's so inter- interconnected. If you do one thing at one place, it affects another and it on the chain goes. So we came up with a solution. We need a parallel currency. Forget fixing the current one. It's a monoculture. Now, anyone who's read Bernard Leotard and he's written lots and lots of books does talk about the limitations of any system which just uses a mono currency, you know, a one a national currency. And he cites lots of examples from history where you, there were two and it was very successful. But the second was designed differently from the first. So I've been influenced by Bernard Leotard a lot. 
But when it came to land, uh, we had to had to not go to Bernard because he, he didn't go with us on that, and we had to think it up for ourselves. So in terms of land reform then, how are you uh, advising it be implemented locally? Well, we say that a new money should be put into circulation to buy land locally. And this should happen gradually. And so a property owner might say, have land worth a couple of hundred thousand. Um, and the local community board creates a couple of hundred thousand of new money of their own parallel new money, different sort than the national currency, to buy that land. And then the the, the property, property owner that sold it to them has to then spend it, and it's spent according to different rules. But let's say it also they also have to pay rent to the local, um, that local authority, very local authority, and they pay land rent for the land. And so we, we gradually get a new currency with a different design, and we're saying that it has to be designed to decay because we're great followers and, and um, largely people who are involved in permaculture are very keen. The design of money so that it decays just like normal goods decay, rots like potatoes and rusts like iron, as Silvio Gazelle said. When that happens, the money circulates quickly. And it has happened in two or three occasions, three occasions in history, where it circulated really fast and reduced unemployment. So that was our goal. But we also applied different tax rules. You see, one of the problems with land tax is you have to actually say, we want land tax instead of income tax. Well, it's very difficult to do. You either put, put your land tax up gradually and but take your income tax down gradually, or else you do it in one big lump. And we did it at, in one big lump right at the local level. We said, okay, that new currency will not have income tax on it. And there we get into governance issues because here we are as a local council or community board <coughs> making rules for our own currency. And we're saying it will not have income tax. Incomes the inland revenue to our district. And we say, sorry, go away. Now, this has happened before successfully in Ithaca, upstate New York, where they had a time bank, a very successful time bank, and the in Inland Revenue Service from America went to visit them, and the locals pushed them, say, say, move out, please. This is our currency, and we will not pay income tax on it. Uh, so you can actually assert your – there's a certain amount of asserting a lot of independence, and I say interdependence because you're never independent – locally so that there is a sort of a a covenant the whole treaty where of independence declaration of inter interdependence at local level we will make our own rules for how our currency circulates and what its rules are and that includes the tax rules well wow. 
That sounds like quite some uh, challenge. Uh, you're laying the gauntlet down there, Deidre Kent, uh, from DeidreKent.com. Uh, quite something for a local government to be able to uh, declare a sense of sovereignty, uh, interdependence, whatever you like to call it, uh, and be able to create a currency that is... Uh, acceptable for paying local council uh, rates and so forth and uh, yes my oh my will you find a uh, someone who's uh, a landholder who's willing to sell their land for this new currency that will obviously be the big test of time right and we all put ourselves in that situation and some of us succeeded and some of us didn't and the ones that succeeded were those who had land uh, sort of when lifestyle blocks were experimental lifestyle blocks, um, like you've got, Carl, <laughs> yeah, I would imagine. Um, yeah. And uh, we realised that the land could do with a lot more labour. And we, I myself, used to co-own a, a block of land, and oh, we could have done with so much labour. It was amazing, and it would have been wonderful not to be able to to say, okay, we're going to pay you in this new currency and we're not we're, the new currency doesn't have income tax on it and it doesn't have GST so you can buy your goods from anyone who's willing to to sell them in this new currency uh, and there'll be no GST so we make that rule too you know it's a bit bold isn't it I mean there's a lot of rebellion involved in so you've actually put this into practice then that's what no. you're saying no, 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 we haven't. But I can see it happening. I can see it happening because I've joined a local climate change group. And one of the challenges with climate change is to plant millions of trees. Now, we've got a lot of marginal land in our area. And the council basically has to buy up a lot of that land in order to be able to plant it with native forest. To do so, it, it hasn't got enough money in the national currency, so it should be able to, to create a new currency to put it into, <laughs> into action. Now, that's just, I mean, that's my dream right now. I can't say I've persuaded anybody or even tried to, but we're going to have a lot of problems like that. There's going to be a lot of, there's going to be a lot of, of climate uh, expense you know, even cleaning up after Harvey, imagine expense. Um, mm. And uh, cleaning up, we've got a coastal uh, coastline that's eroding. Now that requires coastal retreat and that requires compensation for homeowners, which is not possible in the national currency, even when you partner with central government or in your case, state and central. Uh, so we may have to get a parallel currency simply for climate change. Well, that is uh, just immense seeing the problems coming through with Hurricane Harvey in uh, Houston at the moment. Uh, our thoughts go out to everyone there. Rather ironic that it's happening at a, in a oil and gas uh, state and capital city. but uh, The governor is a climate denier. <laughs> and they've had three once in 100 year floods in the last three years so uh, things are adding up rather quickly in terms of these climate costs but uh, I'm interested in lubricating the wheels of labor to enjoy some of these beautiful living environments people enjoy and one of those ways we have is uh, 
are utilising the service called helpx.net where we have travellers yes. who come and stay with us for uh, a couple of weeks and do uh, 20 hours uh, help around the house in return for free board and rent. Um, so it's, it's a currency-less exchange where you do receive public peer reviews that others can um, access. But uh, when we're talking about mobilising uh, you know, thousands upon thousands of people to plant these trees, uh, to soak up all this carbon, uh, that's where, where it gets interesting. And you're saying that still the time banking world is, is suffering because of the administrative costs of maintaining the ledgers. And I'm just wondering, has anyone developed a, a digital... Um, uh, barter bartering system where uh, you can use uh, an app on your phone to do this sort of trading. Oh, I'm sure it's been done in Africa, South America, maybe. That's where they seem to be ahead on that sort of thing, and there are experts, and I'm not one of them. Mm, well, it's something, uh, listeners. If you know anyone out there who's onto that, uh, I've. I've told this story before about how my first job out of my economics degree in the depths of uh, 93, 94 recession was working for Trade Bank, the competitor to Barter Card, and uh, very quickly saw that there were 16 hairdressers and 32 masseurs versus only one or one restaurant and one mechanic. And uh, those uh, uh, popular mechanics and restaurants uh, quickly realized that they were running out of cash. And I know the let system has now um, tightened up on that, but uh, I'm looking for some sort of digitalized weighting of professions and the ability for uh, certain, you know, if there are 16 hairdressers, well, their uh, time bank uh, currency earnings are going to be lower than the one restaurateur. Yes, well, the trouble with all these schemes is that you actually need them acceptable for taxes. To, to have them really widely accepted and to get a balance between those professions. Uh, and, of course, it, you know, it happened in, in, in lit systems a lot. Mm. Uh, yeah, so it's really clear that you need some major thing like you have to be acceptable for rates or taxes or, or, or your energy bill or your insurance. Uh, well, it's just incredible what's coming through. Last week on the show, we had uh, David Martin, the managing director of Power Ledger, who was talking about how Bitcoin can fractionalize solar production and allow uh, using the blockchain technology for tenants in apartment blocks to be able to, to buy that power. Um, so, yeah, there, there are good developments there. but It's uh, happening, aren't there? Yeah. Which is exciting, but underlying all these new technologies are some of these natural laws that we can't escape. And uh, I love in your new book, uh, The Big Shift, uh, this beautiful list uh, called The Unspoken Underlying Paradigms. Now, I think our yep. listeners would like to get their heads around some of these. Yep. What inspired you to write this up? Oh, well, I, I'm math, math trained. I did a degree in mathematics, and we're always looking for the assumptions. And then I did a bit of philosophy as well, which does the same. So I'm always asking myself, what are the underlying assumptions here? You know, because if you read anything about systems thinking and know how to change something, you have to look at 
the thing that gets you the most leverage, and that is the underlying assumptions or the goals. So humans have an act. An, an absolute right to exploit nature's resources. We assume that. We're separate from each other and from our environment. We assume there should always be one currency. We always assume there's only one f way to fund big-ticket items is to borrow from banks with interest and so on. There are lots and lots of assumptions that we don't understand. We don't, we're not sort of conscious of, and I just brought them to consciousness. Yes, well, I mean, that's... A part of our challenge as we keep working towards this uh, this utopia of uh, common economic literacy amongst the community where they can define what a monopolist is and when they're engaging in some sort of um, practice of manufacturing scarcity and can call them out but until uh, you can get your head around some of these assumptions it's hard to take the blinkers off so this right to exploit nature's resources, where, where does that come from in a philosophical, uh, historical well, sense? I guess it's a, uh, we assume that we're above nature somehow. There's been a long history of, of human beings not actually understanding they're part of nature, that they think they're above it because they can use all nature's resources. But uh, so it's, a, it's just sort of a bit of humility we have to learn and we assume that the money system's value neutral too and we can individually own land and the bounties of the earth and the, the inheritance the heritage of our ancestors oh i love that book um by andre linklater and i'm delighted to see josh ryan collins and his associates uh, have read it and are quoting from it all the way through the first part of the book. Did you have you read that, Carl? No, I haven't. I must. Uh, between uh, your book and Kate Raberth's, uh, we had Jeff Smith on recently with his book Perfect Timing. Uh, there's so much to read. It's great to see that uh, more and more people are are pushing this need for new economic thinking. Yes. Yes, and we're struggling. Well, the, the basic income movement is coming to fruition. You know, that's it's quite common, quite mainstream now. I mean, what that guy standing said he was uh, asked to speak at Davos even. Uh, so the problem is how to fund it. It's okay to be in favour of it, but you've got to fund it through rents, sharing the rents. That's the whole point. You know, if you fund it any other way, you're making a rod for your own back. So we have found a way to do that. And, of course, actually, incidentally, the Labour Party in New Zealand has brought in a, a – is going to bring in a water tax which is collected by the local regional council. So that's good news. So that the – Although it's problematic, you know, imposing water tax, you've got to actually get it right. You, you're actually getting collected at local level. Now, while we had this local currency happening at local level, we also said that we're going to get a lot of it very quickly when we buy up local land. And so we're basically going to be soon saying to the, the council, we need to pay our rates in this. So they're going to accept it. And then the council is going to be persuading central government to say we need to pay our taxes in it. So it becomes a second mainstream parallel cu 
currency. And it is all the ones from all the various districts are actually on a par because they're started off as buying land at market value. Well, let's hope that uh, doesn't include any bubble price in there. Deirdre, we, we're going to have to wrap things up. Yep. But uh, uh, thank you so much for your work on this exciting frontier. And uh, it's fantastic that we've got people in, in most continents uh, talking about the need to modernise the economic system. And uh, good luck with your, your lobbying efforts. Good. Thank you. And the e-book will be out shortly. And that was Deirdre Kent from The Big Shift, Rethinking Money, Tax, Welfare and Governance for the Next Economic System. Check out her group on Facebook. It's also DeirdreKent.com. And, uh, yeah, just think of those similarities. Uh, Silvio Gassel's talk about the decaying currency is equivalent to what we're talking about uh, in terms of decaying land price. That's essentially what a land tax does. The higher it is, the lower the price will be. It's a counterweight to mortgage debt, channeling the never-ending property bubble away from the 1% and towards giving us all a tax cut. Visit earthsharing.org.au for a check-in on the show notes. And I look forward to seeing uh, listeners at next week's 126th annual Henry George Dinner at the Woolsheds with Philip Anderson renegade economist extraordinaire.